Welcome to another episode of How You Can Too with your host, your boy, Alvi, a.k.a. Danny, a.k.a. Mr. You Can Too. Today, I am joined by my friend, Matt Klasnick, who is a life coach and business coach for men. We had an amazing conversation where we talk about the importance of being able to distinguish fact from our interpretation of the facts. We also take a deep dive into the lessons that we've learned from our parents' death. For me, my mom, and for him, his dad. It was a great conversation all around, all about self-inquiry, going deep within, healing ourselves so that we can help really empower and heal those around us. Super dope conversation and really really recommend that you dive in and start to think about some of these questions that we bring up for yourself and how they apply to your life. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your family, friends, and loved ones. It would mean the world to me if you leave a five-star rating and a review of the show. I honor you. I appreciate you. And as always, you can too. Enjoy the show. Dynamic blessings, ladies and gentlemen. I have a very, very, very special guest in the building today. Men's life and business coach, dad of three, and husband of 17 years, my man, Matt Klasnick. Matt, welcome to the show, brother. I'm super excited to dive in. For everyone listening, I first met Matt back in November of 2020 at the beautiful retreat known as Rhythmia in Costa Rica. And it was a profound experience sharing that space with Matt. And I knew right away just the amount of love, energy, and wisdom that was within this man. And Matt, it was just so amazing to get to know you in that space, really be able to open up and watch you blossom since then and getting into your coaching and really sharing your gifts with the world at large. So super happy to have you here. And first thing I want to know is, I'm always fascinated by people who are working as coaches. And when I look at my own experience and experience of many others, you know, I got into coaching because of my own transformation and how I was changing my life. So I wanted to really bring that type of work to others. I'm curious, how did you get into doing this coaching with men? It's a really, it's been a really long journey. Uh, for me, just, you know, so I worked a lot with men. In my prior career, I worked for worked for a firm called BlackRock for a long time. And I worked on Wall Street for a couple of firms like Solomon Brothers and stuff. So like a lot of long hours on the road, like a lot of presentations, road shows and stuff like that in the financial services arena. So I was on the road a lot. And you know, for me, I was working with men, like 90% of Wall Street is mostly, it's mostly men. It seems, I mean, like in my particular division of BlackRock, that's the way it was. So for me, I was working with men and, you know, I just would like ride along with them in the cars and we would go and we would do presentations in hotels for retirees, telling them how to save money. And I was like a social security expert, like at BlackRock. So I would like talk about the program and how they could use strategies. And so for me, like I was working with men all the time and I would hear about just guys trying to put it together. Mm. Alvi, you know, like people just like out, like who have to travel for work or who have, you know, single parent families who are, you know, they're dealing with all the corporate stresses and they're doing the best that they can. And 
you know, for me, it was seeing people just listening to what they wanted and just, ah, oh, man, it was, I was in the same camp. Like I said that I wanted to be a better dad that was always around or something, you know, like my parents were married 50 years. So I look back at a great childhood. But I'm like, man, you know, like I want all these things too. So I left that industry. Mm-hmm. I actually took my family and we traveled for a year. We traveled around the world. We homeschooled our kids like in, you know, just, just taking the time to be together finally after like 17 years of doing this. And so when I did that, I had left that, that um, journey and I went and I um, started a business with a friend here in Colorado. And, um, you know, that was like a plant-based business. That was a CBD business. And, um, you know, for me, I was like learning that how much people need healing through things like plants and people would come into our store and they would say how much they weren't sleeping and they were taking this and taking that. People were very open about it. And this was when like hemp became federally legal. We, 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 um, you know, we were, we were there giving like an alternative natural um, path for people. And I realized that I really needed to go do the work myself. So that's why I went down to Risney and I met you. So, and then, you know, and then just hearing more people just, I just, you know, my wife is a life coach and she had um, gone through a program and it's so amazing when you think like we can just understand what we're thinking and what we're creating. And so for me, I just launched it from there. I was like, man, you know, I love working with men, but on the deepest level. And so for me, it was kind of a natural thing. So that's a long way to answer, but man, you know, like just seeing how powerful it is to work with one's mind. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I love how you shared your journey and how you really went on on this journey where you went from one far end of the spectrum that men go through where it's like, Hey, working on wall street, the pressures of it, the hours, the expectations, and realizing that that wasn't for you and almost swinging all the way to this other side of the spectrum where it's like, hey, I understand the necessity to heal, to change the mindset so that the perception of your own inner world can change. And during that process, you've really realized how powerful that is and you've wanted to bring that to others and help them understand that. I'm curious especially when it comes to men, right? Because one of the biggest lies I think we're told is that, you know, we're supposed to do everything by ourselves. We're not supposed to have any help. We're supposed to not show any emotions, any feelings. We're not supposed to say when we're feeling like we're off. We got to hold all that in, be stoic. So how has it been for you having male clients come in and being able to open up? It's like what is happening in their life where now they're open to the possibility of, changing their mindset to expressing what they truly desire to actually talk about the hard parts of their life so that they can overcome it and transform into the version of themselves that they want to be. It's a great question. You know, men, I mean, you are right in a few areas that, um, you know, a lot of us were taught to not let our feelings show that we should be looking strong on the outside and we should, you know, that it was weak to, you know, to have to process something that was difficult and you had a lot of emotions. So what did you do? You just swallowed them, right? You know? And so, yeah. And so we know through a lot of the doctors and people that a lot of the science now that like these emotions are literally stored in our bodies, you know? So like these guys that were in a very similar situation to, I think the situation that I was in is that, it's difficult, Albie, because I have actually have a lot of people that I talk to that are on the verge of 
wanting to do this work, but I think that I think the commitment's a little bit scary at some point, you know. So I think a lot of people kick the tires and maybe, you know, like they like you, you know, this is the way we think as humans sometimes. Like I get, I almost get credit for like looking into things, but I don't actually do them, you know. So I'm like almost doing them, and I hear what they want. And, and I think like, wow, you know, like one of the first steps is being vulnerable to the fact that you're a human, that you deserve compassion from yourself. You would never speak to some people the way you speak to yourself, but we do this because we think it motivates us, but it's a deep patterning that we have to break out of because that's not the way, you know, we have to, we have to be kind to ourselves and understand we're just learning. We're like babies, really. And it's good Absolutely. to it's Absolutely. good to be in that place because then you can actually learn something and say it's a deeper level of inquiry into why we're doing this. Mm, I love that. It makes a lot of sense, and it's interesting, right? This whole idea of keeping that childlike wonder, having like a child's mind, where it's not about immaturity, but it's understanding that there's always so much to learn. And I wonder at what point do we as individuals, whether men or women, just stop learning and start to just decide like, all right, hey, this is just the way I am and this is the way I'm going to act and live my life from here on out. I think it's something that not enough people have awareness around and therefore they go through this autopilot behavior of whatever their day-to-day, week-to-week, year-to-year looks like until they get to the point, like you said, Matt, where it's like, all right, I'm ready to kick the tires and see what else is out there because what I'm doing is not working right now. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's the perfect question. You just said it. It's like, what have I been trying? Has it been working? And when it comes down to the money that is spent literally betting on oneself that you're going to figure it out, it's such a nominal investment, really, when you think about how important it is. Like we go to the gym, we we do, you know, some practices like meditation, like deep self-inquiry into why I'm doing the things I'm doing. It actually can be like really exciting because we can see the, the patterns and the reasons why we've done this. And we can give ourselves some love and say, you were, I mean, everything that you've done in your behavior up to this point with the way you make decisions and everyone makes decisions, we've all done it because it's the best way we know how. But if we don't really know how that we've done it, then we can't even move forward. So we have to like literally say, we have to give ourselves such gratitude that we've like protected ourselves. We've gotten ourselves to this point. But at this point, we just want to look we want to look under the hood and see like what's going on and say, Hey, is there anything that I want to bring along to this next version of myself or anything I want to leave behind? I mean, like this is the time to do it when you get above like 30 some years old, you know, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And what you just said sparked in me a saying that I always come back to, and it's with awareness comes choice. And I think it does take that deep reflection of self to look at, my own life and see like, okay, how is it that I'm showing up? What are the things that I'm participating in? How are my thoughts creating my reality of my world? And based off the results I'm getting and how I'm feeling about my life, that's going to let me know if I should continue down the path 
or if I need to change something. And I think something that's missing is that not enough people take the time to really sit down quietly and reflect, take inventory, right? Like if, if we paint this picture of, say, a big you know, retail store, they're constantly taking inventory so that they can see like, all right, what are the types of things that are selling that people want? What are the things that are not selling that people don't want? What are our numbers and all these things? Yet, what would it look like if we took that approach in our own life and we start to take inventory of our relationship with self, our relationship with our significant other, our relationship with friends and family, how we relate to the world at large? Because once we start to take in that inventory process, it actually allows us the opportunity to see like, all right, what do I want to change? What do I want to keep? How do I want to evolve? Because as human beings, that's what I believe we're here to do is to constantly shift and evolve into the best version of ourselves because there's so much potential there, Matt. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, 100%. And you want to hear a funny story. This is, you know, this will be a good one. When I got back from Rhythmia, my first trip, um, I had a, I worked with one of the, the um, servers of the medicine, you know, and I, and I went and I, re, and I was asking for like order in my life. Like, mm -hmm. just like, I wanted to see things orderly. And I, I do, it was like one of my intentions that I was like, and you know, I had such a profound shift in like starting at that point that I actually went home and I had um, like, I went home and the first thing that I did, I was living in a small place in Breckenridge, like, you know, tiny, like 1300 square foot apartment we had with uh, my three kids and my wife. And, you know, it was like, you know, post my corporate world. So we were like, you know, homeschooling them. We had helped start this business and we like, were, you know, doing our, um, you know, just kind of like slowing things down and figuring things out. Well, you know, like I had become so organized. Like I took inventory of every square inch of our place. I knew what was in the drawers. My wife came home. This is really funny. She's like, did you organize the spice cabinet? Said, yes. As a matter of fact, I did. Like I knew where everything was and it was all visible. And like in my mind, I was like decluttering. And I started to do this in my just like this, you know, my calendar and some of the things that I was doing in my business and just becoming like very aware of what I was, what was going on, like both mentally and physically around me. And it was very helpful. Like taking inventory is such a good thing. Like when we got back from this trip around the world, we like pretty much sold everything that we owned. We had like a suburban style house and, you know, the foothills here in Denver, it was like plenty big, you know, for like four, for five people. And we just like sold everything and moved up into a small place. And it was, it was good to just like see what needs to be gotten rid of, you know, like, and especially mentally, like what kind of things have we been telling ourselves for 30, 40 years? Like you said, like, you know, you said like with, with awareness comes choice. Like all we have to do is become aware of it because then we can decide if we want to keep it or not. But if, we, but like 93% of our thoughts in life are unconscious thoughts, according to the scientists. I mean, like 60,000 thoughts a day. And, you know, like most of them we don't even come into our consciousness. Wow. I mean, there's what an opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love how you talk about how important the mindset is, right? Because I would even venture to say that maybe even before 
I even got to this point where I was really valuing awareness and understanding like, hey, I want to start to see how things are. There was a conscious thought of, okay, like this paying attention is actually going to be important. So this is actually like a mindset shift. I'm curious, how do you describe the importance of mindset to people and your clients? Well, you know, first of all, mindset, like it, it almost implies that you should have a set mind about things, you know, like, and I, so I like, I don't really use the word mindset a lot, but that's just my own personal um, preference. I, I like a flowy type of, uh, you know, like a thought process that's willing to consider anything that we might may be wrong about anything at any time, you know, it's, it's really, it's so good to know that we can literally change our minds instantly. And we don't need to, you know, break things down in our minds for, you know, months and years and, you know, tell ourselves that we're in the process of changing it. Like when we change one small aspect of it, we change the whole thing. We start changing, like our mindset is literally in change. It's like in the process of, like you said, like evolving, like it's, it's so good just to be in a place where you can say like, why am I doing some of these things? And a lot of it is because we want to, we want to be liked by others, you know? So like we've lived our whole lives trying to um, gain the admiration of others when we really like just really, when we can work on being comfortable with ourselves and give ourselves grace for, like we said before, every behavior that you've made up to this point is explainable by how you you try to keep yourself safe and that's so beautiful. But now it's time to know you are safe and that you're willing to hand over the reins to, you know, what you want and working towards that and start to see some results toward that effort. Like a lot of times we're, you know, we're consuming so much these days that there's not really a result on our um, efforts and our business and our intentions. So like, what am I getting, you know, and just being honest and saying, okay, to this point that hasn't worked. But like you said, Alvi, like, what am I willing to do now? Well, let's just go have some fun with some questions and see how we're doing with ourselves and just see what's there. Like not, you know, you mentioned a term at the beginning of this conversation about being stoic. And I think it's so interesting. Like there's, there's people that think being a stoic is like being low emotion, but like being a stoic is just having enough space between the thing that happens, somebody says something, something shows up in your life, to the feeling that you feel. Being stoic is understanding that there's a thought in between, that we actually can create some space with the thinking and just understanding like what we're thinking that's causing an emotion. It's never the person or the thing, the circumstance, it's always our thought about it, right? And so like we know that's ours, we own that completely, 100%. And when we do start to own it more and more, it gives us more space and then we can become more stoic. But, you know, being stoic isn't like some like, you know, low energy, like I'll just accept everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's so interesting because like, yeah, I reacted to everything because of just, you know, I was never taught to do it otherwise. When I grew Absolutely. Absolutely. And I really love that distinction you put in there around what it means to be stoic. And it's, really separating and understanding that, all right, there's an event or there's a thing that happens. And then there's this actual time where you get to be present with the thought or you get to pause for a moment and 
collect yourself before you do some type of reaction that might not be in alignment to how you want to show up. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Like it really speaks into like emotional intelligence is how I hear it. Right. It's being able to see like, all right, there's an event. And instead of just reacting out of just the autopilot mind, just very quickly, it's like, no, like I can still discern, take a moment. And then from there respond in the proper way. Right. As opposed to thinking of stoicism as this low energy, emotionless uh, type of activity. So I really, 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 really appreciate that distinction. And it's interesting. I think there's a lot of power in being able to have a high level of emotional intelligence and emotional intelligence is a really broad term, but in the way that I'm using it right now, it's being able to recognize that one, most events or things that happen in my own life is going to cause some type of feeling or emotion within me. But it's being able to take that space and actually be able to define what's going on within myself as opposed to trying to just let it just go uncontrolled. And to your point, it's all about the thought. How am I thinking about this thing? How am I thinking about how this other person showed up or how this other entity showed up or this other country or whatever it is? I think it's so important to be able to create that space and pause before just going into some type of autopilot behavior. It's the easy way, actually, Alvi, right? Because when, I mean, we can change our circumstances from time to time, and sometimes things will change. And sometimes that is a good idea, but most of what life presents to us is our ability to react to what is going on and, and just be aware of our thoughts and really ask ourselves, like, why is something triggering me per se? Like you said, like, you know, that shows emotional intelligence. And it really is like understanding why something would offend us that we would like fly off the handle like, a, you know, like Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. Like we have to like something like that. We have to think like, whoa, wait a second here. Like if somebody says, Alvi, that you have the ugliest blue hair I've ever seen, like you don't have a reaction to that. But if somebody says to you, oh, you know, like, hey, Matt, like, you know, like, it's so funny. I mean, when I worked at BlackRock, you know, I went to Florida State and I had, you know, worked my way up through, like, the business. And I always, like, told myself in, like, the fun, like, just kind of like a joking way, like, I work with people with, like, MIT degrees, like, Princeton, Harvard, like, a lot of Ivy League, like, super smart people. I went to Florida State. So, I, like, I would have to laugh at myself and I would joke and say, like, I'm, like, the dumbest guy at BlackRock. Like, I, like... But I wasn't dumb, but I just like, I would do that as a way of like, not wanting to feel the feeling of feeling like maybe like I should have, you know, had a, you know, quarter of a million dollar education, like some of these people, like I just didn't have that. So like, so we have to say like, if somebody says something to me and I fly off the handle, like something's triggering in me, like I do think that I'm not smart enough or I'm not capable of starting this business or if Somebody says I'm not rich enough and I really believe that I should have this amount of money by this point in my life. And I, I can be triggered by so many things. And I just have to say, why am I triggered by that? Is because I grew up in a household that was super poor. I mean, I was like, and I, and I, I just didn't realize some of these things that had affected me pretty, pretty greatly as a kid, like trauma is trauma, no matter what the trauma is there are some really bad traumas we have to work with psychologists and go really deep back in the past but the kind of stuff i'm talking about is like 
people just wanting to see what's going on in their head and make it better and take accountability and go for it. For sure. Absolutely. And I think that's such a powerful point to make of, you know, we all go through something and that's something that I've realized in my life and the work that I've done with myself and with other people that's allowed me to really tap into having a lot more compassion in my life is understanding that each and every one of us know what it feels like to be at our own version of rock bottom. It might be different across the board. It's comparing apples to oranges to grapes. But at the end of the day, the feeling that we have is very similar. And because of that, it allows me to really look outside of myself and see no matter how foolish I think something is, it's I can have compassion for that person because I'm like, look, like they're probably going through something. And you know, I think that's something that's missing right now in the world. And you know, in this example, I'm talking about other people but it's so applicable to ourselves also. Like like you said earlier, it's like we would never let someone talk to us the way that we talk to ourselves, yet we let that slide by. And I think it's very fascinating that in the world that we live in right now, at least how I perceive it at times, it's very easy to want to play victim. It's very easy to want to point the finger at somebody else and say like, hey, that person's so bad, that person's so wrong, or that entity is so wrong. And at the end of the day, it's like, it's all perception. And it's like, how, how can we come back within and make sure that we're not projecting our own ills that we have towards ourselves onto other groups of people, other countries, other entities, and really focus on healing ourselves within so that when all of these other things are going on around the world, whether far, you know, within our own family, we have the capability to reground ourselves, to stay centered, to focus on the things that we do have control over and execute and create action around that, and to be able to actually let go of and accept the things that are out of our control. Yeah, I, I love that. I agree. It's just we have to... Um take control of our own little circles first, you know, and then, and then, you know, when we're able to see things a little more clearly, then we can, we have a lot of time and a lot of energy that are, that are freed up, you know, like, it's just, it's amazing, you know, and I think what you said, compassion, I mean, just understanding that there's room for everybody in this world, everybody to sing their own song and everybody's got their own dance and like it, there's room for it. Like, you know, as far as I'm concerned, like the symphony is written, you know, like it's already, like it's already written for like, you know, but, 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 but we get this beautiful life where we get to choose how we want to sing and dance. It's like, we can do good a lot of different ways. And, you know, everybody thinks that once they do this work that like, they're going to, you know, be harder on themselves because now they know that, you know, they, it's good for them and that they're, it's going to require a little bit more work, but it's not going to seem like work to you because it's, going to be, you know, at least plugging into some of what you enjoy and learning how to be grateful for the, all the rest too, you know? So like, it's just, there's room for everybody to have an opinion, like getting worked up about what somebody else thinks about life. Like what would happen if we just let them have their opinion, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, I love the, the paint or the picture that you painted there in terms of being able to allow people to have their opinions, allow people to, express themselves the way that they want to express themselves and understand that like, yo, the world is a huge place. Like why not let everyone, you know, do what it is that they want to do. 
And, you know, it's interesting, you know, there's certain things that go on in the world today where if I'm not careful, I'll catch myself getting caught up in it. And it's like, you know what, let me just take a step back and, and focus on what I can control and just be an example of how I want to live life and what I think is possible. So I really appreciate your your openness to that and for giving the audience the opportunity to take a step back and just see like, hey, what are you open to? And then at the same time, what are the things that you're so intolerable to and why is that, right? Like take a step back and look within yourself and see what is it about these certain things that might be going on that gets you in an outrage. And if it is getting you in an outrage, one, is there anything you can do about it? If so, then do it. And if not, like check in with yourself, take a step back and create more peace within your own life. Because something I've realized is the more that myself or anyone, in my opinion, worries about things that are outside of their control, that's the quickest way to give your power away. And if you don't have your own personal power, it's like, how can you live life in a way that is fulfilling? Exactly. I thought, yeah. Beautifully said, man. I would love to talk to you, Alvi, if we could just take a couple minutes. I, I know that you um, have shared your story, you know, with your mom, you know, you having, you know, you, you being with her a week before she had passed away. And like, I had a similar thing with my dad, but I would love to hear just like, um, since her passing, well, how long ago did she pass? Like two years ago or a year or so? Ago? Oh, no, it's been a while now. It's Oh, wow. 2016, so oh, wow. oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, I was totally off there. I remember. So, like, what did you, um, you know, what did you learn, like, the most from that? Because I would love to share my story with you. I was just watching the Masters, and, you know, my dad was, like, a, you know, like, a hard laborer, you know? Like, so my dad, like, did, like, always wanted to go to the Masters. I had a chance to take him there, but I was... I had, and like on my dad's deathbed, he had like, you know, like I was there with him when he died, you know? And so like, I would love to just hear like all this time has passed, you know, eight, what is that? Uh, you know, six, six years for you. And actually my dad was, has passed on seven years ago, but like, what, what kind of lessons do you keep learning from that experience in terms of how you view how much time you have left on the planet and how, sudden things can change and you know whether we have an attachment to some outcome that we want or not like things are gonna just unfold in life like you know we don't really know the timing of things like what, what you know what have you learned from that point because i think it's so interesting and you know i remember it really talking with you about it a little bit but i can't i would love to hear it yeah absolutely absolutely and, and these are things that you know there, there's like 12 main lessons that that came up for me and, and I shared, now I got the opportunity to share this in my book, You Can Too, Life Lessons for My Mom's Untimely Death. And, you know, the ones that really stick out, especially you really just touched on at the end, it's this idea that life is now. That's what the last chapter of the book is titled. And the reason why I say life is now is exactly what you just spoke on. It's like, we never know what tomorrow brings. We never know if tomorrow's gonna come like life can just be taken away just at any moment. And it was unfortunate that after my mom died and really, you know, her being on her deathbed for about 10 weeks and realizing that she wasn't going to make it, I realized like, man, what a wasted opportunity it was to just love her unconditionally 
as opposed to withholding love because I didn't think she was taking care of her health physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually in the way that I thought it was supposed to be. And what I realized is it was such a wasted opportunity. And it was like there were so many times where from when I graduated college in um, 2011 up until when she passed in 2015, like those last four years, like so much of our relationship felt like um, almost like contractual in a sense. It's like, hey, if you do these things, then I'm going to love you as opposed to just letting her be who she was in the same way that you talk about, like everyone's allowed to have their opinion. You know, I've realized everyone's allowed to live their life how they want to live it. And for me, thinking about my mom, it's like, man, when did I lose that just unconditional love for her? Because I I was such a mama's boy, Matt, when I was a kid. Like, I always wanted to be at my mom's hip. And then once she got so sick that she was pretty much just always at home and and bedridden for many years, it was like I was so pained at seeing her in that way that I did everything that I could to always be out of the house, distracting myself, playing sports, playing outside, being out with friends, you know, whatever it was as I got older, that um, it really created this thing in me where like, I just couldn't stand to see the way she was. And then when I got old enough, after I graduated college, I moved back home, I had this idea of like, oh, like, I can fix this. I can change this. When in reality, I've realized after the fact, like, I can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped. And above that, I don't have to wait to love that person until they've already received my help and they're doing the things that I thought that they were doing. So when I talk about life being now, it's like anything that anyone is up to, whether it's in regards to their family, in regards to their hobbies, in regards to their work, having big dreams, it's like, go after it right now because you can't take the time for granted because that time can be taken away from you in the blink of an eye. And that's what happened with my mom. And as a result, for me, it's really about just going after the things in life that I want. It's telling the people that I love that I love them consistently, right? As opposed to taking for granted that, oh, I'll be able to go do it tomorrow because every day we see tomorrow may never come. And um, really to touch on that point, I mean, we saw this past weekend, Dwayne Haskins tragically died in an accident on the highway, very close to where I live here in South Florida. And, you know, this is a 24-year-old, you know, athlete. He was a great quarterback. He was a first-round pick out of college. And it's like, you know, you look at someone like that, it's so easy to think, oh, this person has their whole life ahead of them. They got so much that they're going to do. And then, boom, 24 years old, dead. And we see examples of that literally every day it happens. So for me, it's so important to be really focused on treasuring each and every day, being present and understanding that life is only right now. Yeah. No, I was just saying it's, it's, it is beautiful. Like you mentioned, just being in a place where, you know, even at the end, we figure this out. Like we have this thing with our parents. I was mentioning that my parents, you know, were married for 50 years, but both grew up in very abusive childhoods, you know, very poor, um, pretty, pretty good moms. Like my dad's mom, she, she died before she was 50, I think. But my, but my uh, mom's mom was alive and, but they had, you know, endured a lot of physical abuse growing up and, 
so for me, you know, I always, um, you know, I had parents that were around, but like, they were always just trying to put food on the table, you know, like the re really beautiful people I learned so much from them. Just they were, they're great parents, but like they weren't emotionally, you know, available because they had never had anybody emotionally available for them growing up. And so they had never really learned how to like, it wasn't like feelings. Like we didn't sit around talking about like how we were feeling, you know? So like, I want to fast forward a story with my dad that my dad was like, you know, amazing guy like he had um he took care of the athletic fields for local school he did some janitorial work he was like a hard, really super hard working guy um but you know like um you know so when my dad i got the call i was in colorado my dad was like a six foot two bodybuilder like he was always like as tall as you you know, he's, you're, probably, you're probably taller than that but he was like you know 200 pounds like super lifted weights like big big guy and i got the call that he had a lymphoma tumor in his throat and he had already survived like eight years with pancreatic cancer, which is kind of like unheard of, you know, but he got this tumor super fast where he couldn't breathe. So he like collapsed. So I, like, I flew home to Florida and I read and like he was, they admitted him in the hospital. They took an ambulance and the, the only breathing tube they could fit down his throat for this big, like 200 pound man was like this little tiny, like infant breathing tube to give him some oxygen. Yeah. So he was like not in good shape. And so my dad had suffered vertigo really badly for seven years from, he got like shingles in his ear. I don't know if you, you're familiar with that, but it like really can, it's like really dizzy. He was dizzy a lot and he had retired. And like the minute he retired, he got like all these sicknesses, you know, it's like something, you know, you work your whole life and then, you know, you, you're, you're, you're similar to your mom. You see someone that's in a lot of pain. So anyway, I got down there and they were, he was under very heavy drugs because they didn't want him to choke on this breathing tube. So we got down there and like, he was like totally out. He didn't, couldn't re really recognize I was in the room or didn't make any um, notices. Then we went and talked to the doctor and doctor's like, Hey, you know, like this is, this is not good. Like he's going to have to like, you know, he can't go to the bathroom on his own. We'll have to have a bag for him. And he's, we could do all these elaborate surgeries. And like, I talked to my dad before and he had kind of indicated that he had had a good life, you know, like 50 years married to my mom, like great, you know, they had a great life. And so we had this, like, I went in this room and like, I was the only person in the room that was like, man, you know, like, I think I know what he wants. Let me just go talk to him. And so I went and told the doctor, I said, Hey, listen, you know, like I want to talk to my dad. So I talked to him. They had taken out the, the, um, or he was coming off the drug. So he was like more lucid. So I had to go in there and say hey, like, Hey, you know, like it doesn't look good. Like you had told me that like, how are things, you know, I was like, this is the situation. I was like, do you trust me? You know, he's like, yeah. So we decided that he was going to like come off these drugs, but he was still going to have the breathing tube in, but they were going to like, let him like pass. And it was like two or three hours that we were all sitting by and he had this breathing tube, so he couldn't talk, but he became very lucid. He was like super like himself, you know, like he had been his whole life and he had a yellow pad, Alvy. This is so incredible. He had a yellow pad and he was writing things down and we knew we would have just a few hours before he would start to like, you know, drift off because of this lack of oxygen from this tumor that was in his throat. So, but they were like helping him off with like some medication and stuff. So he was like in a really comfortable place. So he started writing all these things down. Like he was making all these jokes, like trying to make everybody feel better, but, but like, yeah, but he's like, you know, touch me while I'm still warm. Like he makes it, he make, he writes down, like everybody's in slow motion looking at this legal pad. We think this, like this are this, like his last words. And he fills up like four pages of this stuff. It's like pointing an arrow to my mom, like take care of her. And you know, everybody's like crying, but like half of us are laughing and we're just like waiting for the next thing to come. 
And I, I mentioned this master's week, like my dad was, and never, you know, he grew up like, you know, they didn't have money for golf, let alone like bread, you know, growing up. So like my dad loved golf. And so like, I got the chance to take him to the master's practice rounds one year when I was in college. It was when Tiger was an amateur in 97, like his first year he was coming on. And we got to like spend all this time and like on his deathbed, he wrote number 13 on a piece of paper and like pointed at me. And I was like, 13, what's he talking about? And I started, and like before we left the Masters on this day, my dad was sitting in the grass by Amen Corner at 13, like the most famous golf hole in the world. And I was like, hey, it's time to go. You know, like we had this great day. And he's like, no, just five more minutes. Like just laying in the grass. And I'm like, this is what we're talking about. Like being able to just say like to him that it was meaningful enough that on his deathbed, he wrote this number and was like remembering. It was like, wow. You know, we think like how many times we gloss over people because we think that they should be doing what we, what we think they should be doing. Like, you know, like being better for their health or doing these things or worrying less. Like my mom was such a worrier for how she grew up. God bless her. You know, she, like, it's so understandable. I mean, wouldn't you worry if you got beat up every week? You know, I mean, of course you would. Like, so like, and I realized these things later in life, but you think like, wow, these moments, like, you're right. We don't, we're just not assured of any more of them than what we get. And like, just letting people be who they are and we can love them from afar. We can love them when they die. We can love them while they're alive. We can just be, just be kinder and just, you know, like love's always the best answer. It's one we don't want to do it a lot of times because we want to feel something else to feel, you know, like anger or something. But like love's always a choice there where we can just be, meet people where they're at and just like not try to change them or think that we'll feel better once they start to behave a certain way or something like that. Like it's all crap, you know? 100%, man. That's so well said. And it's such an inspiring story to hear how you and the family were all huddled around your dad during those last moments. And even at that time, him knowing that his, his time was coming, he had it within him to be lively and making jokes and to be sending his messages and to be there present with y'all, even though he couldn't speak. And it's so funny that he goes back to that time, like back at the master's practice round, just sitting on 13 and just laying down. And it's like one of those moments that, you know, you kind of glossed over but it was so meaningful to him in that last moment. And it kind of has me think, it's like, man, I wish, you know, during those last moments with my mom, because she was induced into a coma. And there was really one time during those 10 weeks when she was in that coma that like, I felt like we connected where like, she was looking in my eyes. I could tell like there was something there. And uh, yeah, it was such a surreal moment. And yeah, I really wish I could have went back and, and had those, just those last couple moments just to see what would have came out because I can only imagine the memories that she has of us because she loved me so much that uh, that she would have loved to talk about and uh, pointed out to that maybe I, I would have forgotten. And it's interesting because, you know, that happened in 2015. And then I had my first ayahuasca ceremony in 20... God, what was that? It was right before my birthday. So it was probably like in 20... I want to say 2018 it was, right before my 30th birthday. And like that first night of sitting with the medicine, I'm on my um, on my mat and I'm just like curled up in a ball with like my pillow and under the blanket. And before I knew it, I was like back in my mom's womb. 
And then right from that moment, I was taken on this journey where I started to remember just all of these beautiful moments that we had together that I had completely forgotten about um, just as I got older. And it was that was like the healing moment of my mom and I's relationship, because, you know, the three years after she passed away, that was in 2018, you know, those three years, I still had a lot of shame, a lot of guilt and a lot of the work that I was doing in the world trying to help others I still had in the back of my mind like oh it doesn't matter how many people I help because I wasn't able to help my mom and it wasn't until that first ceremony where I realized like my mom's always with me and I get my love of service from her and then I also learned through the way that that she lived her life that you know it's so important that I fill my cup up first before I try to fill up anyone else's because that's the only way it can truly be sustainable because what my mom did is she tried to pour into me, my brother, other family members, friends, but she never poured into herself. And I think that's a big reason why she ended up passing away um, at such a young age. So yeah, man, I really appreciate you sharing that story. And uh, man, there's just so much that we can learn from, you know, a death of a parent. But also I want people to understand like, man, keep those loved ones close to you now because whenever they do pass away, it's like, you know, it's never expected, right? Like we all inevitably know that, you know, death comes for our our physical body at some point, but we never know what that time is. So instead of waiting to give that person their flowers when they're gone, it's like, hey, give them the flowers now and really spend that time to, yeah, share space and and be loving and, and just be together, fill the cup. Yeah, it's beautiful. And, you know, like we just realized that even when people do depart from this world and their loved ones, that we can really still be with them because being with them is in our thoughts. Because like, you know, whether we're with somebody or not, we can still think about them and that thinking of them still brings up an emotion for us. So we want to, you know, like we just realize that like they never really leave us and whether we get you know, 40 years or 80 years or whatever, that it's enough to keep going and for you to change what you want to change in your life, Alvi, you know, from like the lessons and from wanting to keep what you want to keep and wanting to leave behind and constantly just, just, you know, understanding yourself more, being more compassionate to yourself and being just creating what you want to, knowing you're a co-creator in the universe. Like, how cool is that? We literally get to take actions and work with our hands and our words, and we get to do these things. Like, we can, we're creators. We can make all these beautiful, all these beautiful things, these pieces of art that are like our lives, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. It's super cool. And and Matt, something I would love for you to do, because I'd love to give the, the listeners the opportunity to have new tools or new ways to take their life to the next level, whatever that may look like for them. And what would you say are like, if there's just one tip or one tool that you wanted to provide the listeners with that can help them really just have a better experience in their own life, experience themselves in a better way so that they can grow into the person who they want to be, what would you share? Sure. Yeah, so I think the most important thing that I could share would be just to realize what is a circumstance or a fact, 
in the world or with, in your situation? And what are your thoughts about it? Like literally this one thing could completely change your life because let me, let me just give you a couple examples, Alvi, and then I'll, I'll make this short. You know, let, let's say you have relative, you have relatives where like in New York area or where, like, where are you from? Yeah, so I have family. Most of my family is here, so they're mostly in South Florida. Okay. Some in Atlanta. Gotcha. Some in New Jersey. I gotcha. So let's say you have like an Uncle Joe, you know, and he lives down in Miami somewhere and like, but, but you're not super close to him, right? So like, let, let, let's say that Uncle Joe passes away and like, you don't hear about it from anybody because you just didn't know he was, you know, whatever, like, like nobody told you, you wouldn't have any feelings about Uncle Joe dying. But if like, if you really didn't like Uncle Joe, and you think like, oh, man, the world's a better place without Uncle Joe, and you have a feeling of like, contentment because he was like hurting people or something whatever or like you think like uncle joe was the nicest guy in the whole world like the world is a worse off place like uncle joe dying didn't elicit that emotion in you what elicited that emotion was actually your thought about uncle joe and when we think about all the things that happened in our life like our boss says something to us well what he says to you he could say that to an exact same person and those two people will have two different things one could you know like be just know that they're going to figure it out. And one person could be devastated by their boss saying something to them. And like, it's what you think about it. So like, when you think about like all the things that show up in our lives, like we pe people saying certain things to us or, you know, like having feelings toward us, like all these things, like what comes down to is what I think about that is everything, Alvi. Like, you know, if I'm bothered by something, like what am I thinking that's causing me to be bothered? And just like spending the time to understand what we're, becoming aware of in like, you know, our, our, our behavior, like, are we a victim to things having to show up exactly like we imagine them and how we want them to show up? Or we're going to be disappointed when they do and feeling sad because something didn't meet our expectations. Like, or can we just say like, what am I like, what's coming up? not even trying to change it. That's why this advice is so simple is because I'm not trying to suggest that you just start thinking all like unicorn and daisy rainbows thoughts, like that I want to change my thinking to make myself like in this reality world that I don't believe in. Like I want to believe it. I just want to know why is it coming up? And then like once I'm aware of that, then I can realize how I think about something, how I think about Uncle Joe, how I think about how my boss spoke to me, whether or not my wife, I thought she was in a good mood when I woke up and I think she's mad at me. So now I'm thinking that she's, you know, like I get spiral into all these things, right? It just has to do with our thoughts. So once we can take ownership for that and say, I want to figure out a way to like be accountable for my own thoughts and hence my own feelings, and then what I do from those feelings and then like what I create, like it's all me. And so like, that's good news because I'm the one that's going to fix it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those are powerful words, powerful words. Cause it brings it back to you as the individual, as opposed to keeping it outside of yourself. And yeah, I think there's such a distinction between fact versus interpretation. Cause oftentimes the situation, the circumstance, the fact it is what it is yet it's the way that I perceive it is what has me think about it a certain way or act a certain way or speak a certain way about it. So for everyone listening, being able to distinguish the circumstance from your interpretation of it can be a game changer in how you experience your life. 
Yeah, and usually the first interpretation is something that we're afraid of, and our body is giving us a signal that we need to follow that signal so we don't get hurt again, right? So we want to just think like, okay, it's good to know that because then I could just see like what that's creating and like be okay with that being my default is to try to protect myself because I love myself and I'm doing the best I can. But is there another way? Is there another way to potentially look at this where there's some kindness that's shown to myself? And then when I feel good about being kind to myself, then I'm better to everybody else around me and things start showing up for me differently because I'm already, you know, compassionate and evolving into the thing. I'm sending off the vibration and I'm going to get it in return, right? That's the way it works, I think. I love that. I love that. Wise, wise, wise words, my brother. And Matt, for everyone listening, man, where can people find you online and more about your work and what you're up Yeah, thanks, Alvi. So at um, mattklasnick.com, that's K-L-A-S-N-I-C-K. That's just my personal, um, that's my life coaching page. And then, um, you know, uh, I've got um, just yeah, Facebook, um, it, you know, Instagram at Matt Klasnick. And um, yeah, that's about it, brother. I'm so excited for you doing your work too. I'm speed walking around uh, my neighborhoods here. You know, people are looking at me. Hey, that's all right. You're, 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 a, you're an inspiration to them. You just don't even know it. They're just like, damn, I, I know I can go ahead and do that. They probably just see those elbows are just so explosive going back. They don't know what to do with all that. I've got to see you again so I can get in touch with the form a little more. You can give me some, you can refine my technique. Hey, come on, brother. Anytime uh, you're in South Florida, when I make it out to Colorado, we'll make that happen. Alvi, anytime, anytime you're out, let me know, my brother. To, you know, give Alejandro my best. And I'm so happy for all the stuff you're doing, man. The world needs it. Good stuff. Uh, I appreciate you, brother. And all of that is received. And I send all of that right back to you as well, man, because the work that you're doing in this world, helping men become better version of selves and lead the life that they want to leave is incredible. And like you said, so many people need it. So thank you for your work, brother.